Welcome, everyone, to the Ottawa Business Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Pagioni. Here on the show, we bring you interviews with business owners, executives, and key players operating in and around the Ottawa, Ontario, Canada region. We grab their insights on business, marketing, leadership, and motivation. We hope you'll tune in. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Ottawa Business Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Pagioni. Joining me today on the show, we have Tony LaForest. Tony is the owner of Osgood Signs and Stitches. They've been in business for the past five years. We're going to be discussing some practical advice for those business owners out there and diving deep specifically on all things signs, embroidery, and printing related. You're going to want to tune into this. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Ottawa Business Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Pagioni. We have a very special guest on the show here today. For those of you that are out there that are small business owners, entrepreneurs, you're going to want to tune into today's guest. On the show today, we have Tony LaForest. He is the owner of Osgood Signs and Stitches, and he's been been in business for over five years now. Tony, welcome to the show. Thank you, Paul. Look forward to chatting. Tony, maybe we could start off with uh, giving the audience and and myself as well a little bit of an understanding of your background and uh, sort of maybe bring us back to to your birthplace. Where where was that, Tony? So I was born and raised uh, north of Montreal. Um, I lived uh, my youth and uh, my early married years. I lived in a community by the name of Two Mountains, which is north of Montreal, Um, On a Sunday morning, you could drive there in 45 minutes from downtown Montreal. On a Monday morning, you could drive there in two hours. Um, Just puts puts a spin on the traffic for you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so I was born and raised and I lived all my life in Two Mountains after we married in 1976. We bought a house in Two Mountains and we called it home. That's where we lived. Okay. Um, so far as uh, family-wise, um, my mom brought up five of us by herself. Okay, so she, wow. uh, yeah, she she really worked hard. My dad left when I was three years old. I was the second last in the family. Um, I was three. My younger sister was just newborn, and my dad up and left. So my mom raised five of us by herself. Okay, wow. were you the um, only boy or? No, I had one brother. He passed away two years ago after okay. lengthy health issues. Uh, okay. But I have three remaining sisters. We're not really close, but I do have three sisters, and they're spread around the spread around Canada, all over the place, kind of deal. Okay. Um. So yeah. So 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 growing up, and you know, I was your average kid. Um, got my ass in trouble on occasion. <laughs> um. You know, went through school in two mountains. Went through high school in two mountains. Yeah. Um, Played drums in a couple of different local bands, never got it much further than the basement or uh, the occasional school dance. Um, yeah. But, you know, at the end of the day, we probably made a couple of people deaf. 
But um, you know what? At the, at the end of the day, I look back on it now and I say, you know what? We were having fun. We were yeah. just having a good time, you know? And I still remain close with some of those guys. I still remain friends with some of those guys. Our lives are very different, but we still remain very close. So, are, you know, I, I look back on it as being good time well spent. Yeah. Um, yeah. Are you are you a Montreal Canadian fan then? No, I'm not. <laughs> oh, you're well, how did that happen, Tony? Wow. <laughs> I live in Ottawa now. You gotta look after your own. Oh, um, okay. But but you know, growing up, honestly, honestly, yeah. I mean, growing up, I was. But honestly, I'm not much of a sports fan. Okay. Um, you know, okay. I watch an occasional game. I mean, more than anything, it's get together with the guys. Fine. Um, you know, I'm not really a big hockey fan. I'm not really a sports fan okay. at all. To be honest okay. with you. Talk to me about music. I could talk all day with you. Okay. Name somebody. I'll probably I've probably seen them, heard them. Wow. Okay, we'll that, have to get um, into that after. That is you awesome. know, I just uh, that was my thing. I was really, really as a kid, as a a young adult, I was really into music. That was my, you know, everybody's got their place in the world, and that yeah. was mine. You know, was so who were I, your early influences in music? Oh, your regulars: Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple, Uriah Heep, uh, Pink Floyd, The Who. Uh, you know, all the regulars of the seventies. Oh. Those were those were my. Uh, those are um, my influences for sure. Well, for I sure. have to ask this because I'd imagine, I mean, I've obviously I've never, I never had a chance to meet your mom. Um, but with a busy household like that, I would imagine she had to have a little bit of a tighter grip on, on, on the five of you. Did, did she, did she did. ever let you play kiss or did you ever get into kiss? Or? Uh, yeah, a little bit here yeah. and there. Um, wasn't my, my play. It wasn't my thing. I wasn't into the makeup stuff. I just didn't okay. get it. I didn't okay. get that part of it. Um, going back to my mom, you know, my mom in a lot of ways was really an inspiration for me as an adult now. Oh, that's awesome. But I look back on her now and I say, you know, like my mom passed away years ago now. Um, but I look back on it now. And I mean, she raised five of us by herself. Okay. She was an immigrant to the country. She came here from, from England. Okay. okay. As, a war, as a war bride. So she knew nobody here. She had no family okay. here. She okay. was alone. And she uh, she raised five of us, and you know we've all turned out to be reason reasonable people. And yeah. um, you know I, I think back on it now, and like mom, mom, she worked damn hard. You know she worked days and nights, and and you know I don't recall ever going to bed with a with a hungry stomach or a cold bed. Yeah, you know the awesome. heat was always on, the rent was always paid, there was always yeah. food on the table. Um, yep. You know, so I think back on it now and I look back at my mom and it's like, man, she was a bloody hard worker, you know, yeah. and I'd I like to think that some of that was instilled in me. I, I um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Very well said. Very well said. So, so, so Tony's venturing through high school, um, playing a little bit of, a little bit of the drums. School was, uh, elementary school was great. I loved it. I mean, I yeah. did well in elementary school, and I think part of that is um, we were a small school. We were a small community. Well, we were a small, small school where you know everybody, okay? You're in mixed okay. classes with, like, grade three and grade four. And, you know, I mean, I, I, it was, like, from grade one till grade six, I knew everybody, and it was always the same people. Yeah. When I got to high school, that turned to a different story because high school – at the time in Quebec, and I don't know if it's like that now, but at the time, English high school was just a mess. We had more portables on our school than we had school. Okay, we went okay. to school. We went to school in shifts. We were with people that 
So most of us didn't know. I mean, like they brought schools in from all over the place. So you, you lost touch with all your friends. And I think you, I think they did a disservice to a lot of the kids because I just got lost in it. Um, I talked to people that I went through it with and you know, most of them will say a lot of high school was really a waste of time. Um, when you go to school in shifts, I mean, I can remember friends of mine that I went through elementary school and they would be on afternoon shifts. So they would start at 1230 and go to school until 530. I was on the morning shift. So I'd go to school 730 to 1230. And then I was alone at all afternoon. So, you know, hey, there's a, there's an opportunity. There's the devil's playground for you because mom's not home. She's at work. All my siblings oh, are yeah. gone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the world yeah. was my oyster. I could go and run around and do what I want. I got my ass in trouble and I got my ass into things. That I shouldn't have done. But was, was that, was that for all of high school? You're on shifts? Yep. Yes, sir. Oh. Except for my last year. Um, I uh, wound up going, I wound up leaving the school before I graduated. And then I, I realized, you know, not long after that, you know, if I'm going to do anything, I'm going to need that high school thing, you know? So okay. I wound up going back to high school, but I wound up going back at night so that what I tried to do was detach myself from the, the everyday, the friends and the, and the um, detach myself from, from the, what's the word I'm looking for? I get myself away from it kind of thing. I didn't want to be with my friends. I didn't want to be influenced by that. Yeah. Okay. Just, yeah. You want to do your own thing, make your own well, it, it Make my own way. But it was also like, I didn't have the distractions. It's like, put your nose to the grindstone and do it. Yeah. And, and that's the way I approached it. So, so yeah. So I managed to finish that. And then uh, in that last year, I also studied to be an electrician, which didn't pan out because at the time in Quebec, you needed to have your apprentice ticket to be an apprentice and you needed a job to get, you had to have a ticket to get your job. So okay. it just didn't work for me. So I wound up taking a job at ADT security which didn't last very long. Um, okay. And purely because I wound, I found myself in the right place at the right time. Um, I had been visiting with my brother-in-law at a company by the name of Aviation Electric, which then became Bendix Aerospace, which then became Allied Signal Aerospace, which then became Honeywell Aerospace. Okay. So I found myself being in the right place at the right time, uh, met my brother-in-law for coffee, and met his manager, and they were in desperate need of a hot body to train and do and, and learn uh, to run their computer systems. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So, so it, like I say, it was like I was in the right place at the right time. Now, I didn't even know how to spell computer, never mind run one. But <laughs> <laughs> that's what they wanted. It was they wanted somebody that he says, I don't want somebody coming out of school with all kind of grandiose ideas. He says, I want to teach you the way. I want you taught. I want okay. to teach you to, to run this thing and run this, this environment the way I want it run. Okay. And lo and behold, I wound up, I signed, a, signed my work agreement on December 17th of 1978. Okay. And okay. yeah, and uh, never looked back. Well, I shouldn't say I never looked back. I mean, I stayed there for 17 years. So, okay. um, you know, it, it turned into a really good career for me. Like and what, what was the main business that, that they had? Aviation Electric was uh, well. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna call it Allied Signal Aerospace because that's when I left was Allied Signal Aerospace. Okay? We had been sold many times off to American uh, corporations. So okay. Our mainstay. We were military suppliers. We we built um, fuel controls for military aircraft, uh, military helicopters, and the like. 
We built land navigation equipment for tanks, for cannons, for oh wow, all kinds of artillery, like mobile artillery. Yeah, um, we we built uh, night vision goggles was one of our uh, our primary things. Um, we did a little bit of work on the commercial side. Uh, we in that we did like fuel controls for the the commonly seen Dash Eight that Air Canada flies. We did fuel controls for those. Um, okay. But mostly what we did was military related. Um, so we were under very strict security. Um, could always tell when there was a war going on somewhere in the world because we would be busy as heck. And wow. if there was no wow. wars going on, we weren't busy. So, Did you get to test any of these in the field? Or? No, no, I was very much <laughs> detached. I was the only, yeah, I kind of wish. Yeah, as close, I, the closest I got to that stuff was that. We were we were in multiple buildings, and the building I was in was was considered the engineering lab. So we would get all kinds of military equipment in there, and I mean it wasn't uncommon for me to walk from the main door to my office, and on the way see you know tanks in the warehouse and cannons in the warehouse and missile launchers and that and the like. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know it was just the nature of what we did, and it was the nature of the environment. But I mean I never got any hands on with it or. Uh, anything further than that like i say i mean my, okay the, the close proximity was because i was in the engineering building that were you were you in now were you in montreal this entire time over the 17 yes okay yes, yes. okay so so I'll, I'll give you a little bit of history on the leaving montreal yeah so, sure so i had been with uh, allied signal aerospace for 17 years and as i said before you could tell when there was no wars going on in the world because it wouldn't be busy um, I started to see a lot of layoffs happening around me. Now, because I had been there a long time, it really didn't affect me, but I um, started to see a lot of layoffs of people around me. Machine shop people were going, uh, floor people, engineers were leaving, that kind of stuff. And I guess maybe the writing was on the wall, and then unconsciously I started to see that. So there was that, and then there was the political issues going on in Quebec. So at this point now, I've got two young children. I've got a son that's starting school, and okay. I've got a daughter that's in grade two at this point. Okay. So, so the politics of the, of the province, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love Montreal, I love Quebec. It's, it's, it's where I was born and raised, and you know, there's a lot of good things about it. It's unfortunate about the politics. But the politics of it were that I was starting to see the same kind of issues that were going on within my high school years, okay, as I reflected on earlier. So, you know, we were starting to see, okay, the kids would be split. They would be bused for 45 minutes. The kids would be, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought, I said to my wife, I said, you know what? No, I don't want that for my kids. It's like, I see the mess that my high school years became and I yeah. don't want that for my children. Um, I, I think the emphasis in Quebec at the put their children in French schools. Now, while I consider myself to be bilingual, fluently, yeah. I can hold yeah. a conversation in English and French, um, when it comes down to my kid coming home with uh, their, their homework, where I'm going to have to be able to teach them, I don't know, grammar or read something to them, okay, my French is not that proficient that I can say I'm teaching them the right thing. Okay. okay. So my, my job as a father was to be able to help my children through their school years. And I didn't feel I was up to par on that. Okay. So there was that, there was the writing on the wall at work. And we just made a decision that, nope, we're going to finish their school year. And we are going to relocate to Ottawa. Well, we looked at Ottawa and we looked at Waterloo. 
Okay. So we we looked at both of those communities and um, we wound up liking the Ottawa area because it was close proximity to Montreal because we do have a lot of friends that still live there. Yeah. We like the idea that two hours we can jump in the car, go visit our friends, our family, and and the like. So, um, so we we sold our house in Montreal, okay. and my, my wife and children moved to Ottawa. We bought a house in Montreal, and my wife and kids we we relocated. Except that I was still working in Montreal, so I would stay with family during the week and then head back Friday afternoon, Friday uh, Monday morning, get up real early and drive back into Montreal. Okay. Uh, so I did that for a couple of months, and then I got the opportunity to, to join IBM. So I got into IBM. Okay. And uh, and that's where I stayed for another sixteen years. <laughs> so okay. Um, now yeah. now that's IBM here in Ottawa, correct? Yeah. Well, IBM was yeah. basically IBM Canada, but their location here. I was working out of the Walkley Road location at the time. Yeah, um, yeah. That has since relocated, but yeah, I was working at uh, I was working at uh, twenty two twenty Walkley Road. Okay. Um, yeah, and I started there in their mainframe environment, which was my world, yeah. and uh, progressed on through, went to work in the server environment, the mail uh, servers environment, and, and then moved on. In my last eight years with IBM, I was in security, like logical security. Um, okay. So, okay. yeah. So, 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 I mean, that was, uh, that was an enjoyable career also. Now, now, um, just 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 before you go ahead, I want to just circle back on one thing here, Tony. When, yeah. So, is your wife from Two Mountains as well? She is. She was my high school sweetheart. Oh my gosh, you guys met in high school. We did. Wow. Oh, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah, she was uh, my high school sweetheart, and today she's still my sweetheart. How's wow, that? that is awesome. <laughs> just like my wife and I. Well, that isn't that is an incredible story. I did. Yeah, we've been married. We got married in nineteen seventy six. So that's wow. What, that is that's, that's one hundred and forty years. <laughs> <laughs> so so for though i i be, before we move from because you know I, b- before we move on from uh from Go my ahead. i want i want you to tell the story because this is the one story i did hear you tell before and it's a great story uh about how you found uh the little village where you where you reside now called medcalf and and the, tell us that story because that's there's a lot so, of in that story so, so Laura and I were both raised in two mountains, a small yeah. town, North Montreal, I've gone through that a couple of times. Two mountains was like your common one road town. We had a donut shop. We had a couple of hairdressers. We had a bank. Yeah. We had a liquor store. Um, <laughs> I think we had a bar. I'm not sure about that, but I would have been too young for that. Um, but yeah, you know, like your one horse town kind of thing. One main route, road through the village. You knew everybody. Yeah. Everybody spoke to everybody. Excuse me. So when we decided that we were going to move to Ottawa, um, we had looked at a couple of different communities. We had looked at Orleans. We had looked at Canada. We had looked at Nepean. Yeah. And none of them really worked for us. And I, don't know, I can't put a finger on why, but they just didn't. Yeah. And then we thought, well, hang on a second. I'm used to commuting, you know, that half hour, 40 minutes out of the city. So let's look out of the city. Okay. And when I started looking at Ottawa, I started seeing that the most logical place to go outside of Ottawa is go south because West was really grown. East was really growing. Um, so the logical place, well, you can't go North because then you're back and go back. Um, so the logical place was to go South. So we actually decided to, we had looked up some houses in the Russell area. Okay. We, we, um, we were scheduled to meet in a, uh, a realtor 
and we were to meet her in Metcalf at the park across yeah. from the bank. Well, I had never been here. I had never been to Metcalf prior to that. Yeah. So you're you're talking so, about the four corners at the stop sign across. Exactly. The bank. Exactly. Yeah. Right across the road from the Royal yeah, Bank. Victoria and, park. Yeah. yeah. It used to be the hardware store. And yeah. 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 So the criteria that Laura and I had set before we moved, before we made any decisions on where we were going to land, we know now we're going to move. We know now we're going to the Ottawa area. Yeah. What's the criteria? What do we need? What do we want out of the community where we're going to live? Okay. So having two young children, we said, what's the criteria? We want our kids to be able to go through school, elementary and high school. Okay. Yeah. yeah. In the community they live. I want them to be able to walk to school. Yeah. Okay. I want awesome. them to be able to have local friends that are nearby that they can get close to, that they can form relationships with. I wanted them also to have an environment in a community where they could be involved in sports if they so chose, if they chose to do that. I wanted them to be able to take place in or take part in playing soccer, baseball or tennis or whatever interested them. But I wanted it in the community where we lived. I didn't want them to have to be bused. I didn't want to have to be driving them all over the country for it. Um, I wanted them to be able to be self-sufficient in a way. Okay. So we had scheduled an appointment to meet with a real estate agent. We were supposed to be looking at houses in Russell. (laughs) We arrived about an hour early in Metcalf. Okay. And my wife said, oh, you know what? She said, why don't we sit in the park? We'll have an ice cream. We can, you know, just talk and so on and so forth. So we sat in the park and had an ice cream. Then we drove around the village a little bit. Building's fine. Then we went back to the park and sat and talked again. And we both looked at each other and we said, you know what? I don't want to look at that house in Russell. (laughs) <laughs> I want to find a house. I want to find a house here in Metcalf because yeah. this is what we are looking for. This yeah. is this is the village that meets the criteria that we had set. We saw that they had both the schools. We saw that there was you know soccer going on at the local park. We yeah. saw there was baseball going on at the local park. So it met the what we wanted for a community where we wanted to raise our children, and. Um, I have absolutely no regret. I think it's yeah. been, um, I think it's probably the best thing I could have ever done for my children was, that is awesome. um, you know, get them positioned here at a young age and yeah. you know, let them grow their life uh, in the, in, in this environment. So, yeah. 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 So, so if, if I, if I'm hearing you correctly and I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you, you experienced while you were having the ice cream, you felt that small town feel here. Oh Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, we my were, wife and I definitely connected to that too when we when we moved here. Uh, definitely, yeah, we definitely sat prepared. in the park. Sat in the park, and I mean, the variety store where we got our ice cream was actually in well, the building that burned down last winter or the winter before. Whatever. Yeah, the Main that's Street Restaurant. The, yeah, yeah, that's where that's where the variety used to be. Yeah, so, you know, I'd walk in there and everybody's hi and how are yeah. you and that kind of stuff. And you know, everybody seemed like everybody knew me by everybody. Everybody was friendly, yeah. and you know, it was just you know what it was it was. It was kind of unusual for us. Like we, 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 a couple of times we would stop and say, hey, this is like, this is just like so friendly. We lived in our house <laughs> yeah. in two mountains. We lived beside the same couple yeah. for, I don't know, 10 years. Yeah. And I can tell you, we had maybe three conversations. Yeah. And one of those was, well, I'm having a corn roast. So if we're making too much noise, please let me know. Don't phone the police. Now, <laughs> 
in my books and here in Metcalf, if I was having a corn roast and I was going over to tell my neighbor that, I'd be going over to tell him that I'm having a corn roast and I'm hoping that he'll join us. <laughs> yeah. Not to not phone the police. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, very well said. Yeah. yeah. Well said. So so Tony is at is at IBM. You're working on the mainframes. And yeah. and, and then where does where did that go? So so we're so when we came to Ottawa. I would say when I came to Canada, but I'll yep. go there. <laughs> um, so we're in 1991 now. Uh, so we came to Ottawa in 1991, spring of 1991. Okay. And uh, yeah, I started at, at IBM in the fall of 91. Wow, and, that's uh, early. Yeah. 91, yeah, so, holy smokes. <laughs> we weren't. <laughs> <laughs> Easy now. <laughs> yeah, But I mean, you um, must have been one of the earliest of, of employees for IBM, no? Like, well, no, I mean, IBM's a huge company. Come on. No, I know. I mean, they got, they got thousands and thousands of people there. But you're, so, you're pre-Cognos yeah. before they bought Cognos. You're years ahead of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah for sure. For sure. Um, so, so yeah. So, I'm at IBM and I'm working in the mainframe world and I'm doing my thing. And No, yeah. I mean, I enjoyed my career, but I'm not one that I can uh, I can stay in one place for too, too long. Okay. I get, tend, to get, tend to get a little bored, so I'm always looking for something different or new challenges i love new challenges um so i started working towards getting uh, certifications to move out of the mainframe world and into more of the server world and okay. that's what i did i moved out of the mainframe and started doing server work and service support type work and then um did that for several years um we were we were being audited by an outside firm and we were told in no uncertain terms that we must pass this audit. Um, and I was in charge of getting our portion, my server team's portion of security in order and in line. Okay. I did that. Um, the audit people uh, seemed to love the work I did and invited me to join them um, to do backfill work in the security world. So that was kind of the start of my security, um, that security hat that I started to wear. Um, okay. Moved into security, stayed there for seven years, I guess. So, yeah, I, was, I worked in security for about seven years. When you're, when you're talking about security, like what, what are you talking about? Like securing network? From so basically, I was a project manager of, in security. So my role was to go in, look at the client's details, look at the client's requirements for security, look okay. at IBM's requirements for security, make sure they aligned. And then if there was a third party, so for example, one of my clients was a pharmaceutical company. Okay. Okay. So now I've got the pharmaceutical company's security requirements. I've yeah. got IBM's security requirements, but I've also got FDA's security requirements in there too. So you've got to find a way to mold the three of them together to oh, make sure that the environment is well protected and that you're answering yes to as many of the requirements as possible. Okay. Now, in that role, it wasn't my function or my duty to know everything about everything. It was to know everybody that knew about everything. So yeah. basically what I would do is I would call on an expert in the Windows environment or the OS 390 environment or a Unix environment. But my job was to, to pull in the people that were experts in those fields work with them to ensure that um, security was in place, like I say, to meet the requirements of 
of these different parties. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So I did that for seven years. And then at the end of seven years, I was called into a meeting where they handed me a piece of paper and said, sign here, we don't need you anymore. Oh, wow. Which commonly happens, but at this point now I'm 50 years old. Okay. Okay. And it's not an uncommon thing. And I mean, I, I guess I took it personally and I kind of felt like a loose sail in the wind for a while. Yeah. Um, I lost myself and took it personal, but I realized after a while that, yeah, nothing personal. It's just money. It's all it is. Yeah. Money. Yeah. It's the bottom line. Yeah. Money. I was costing them too much money. The two kids yeah. out of school in my place and for less money. So that's yeah. the way it boiled down to. So, okay. Yeah. So there okay. we are. So where, where does, so, so you're, you're 50 and you're looking at the prospects of finding a new job. What is that thought process? Terrible. <laughs> no, <laughs> I didn't mean it that way. Don't you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, I I honestly think. Like, did you think about going into business for yourself at any point here? Or? You know, I started looking around for different work. Like yeah, looking at different um, available available positions, if you wish. Yeah, and you know, I think, and this is just my perception on it. I I, I think that. If I, I probably handed out about 50 resumes in a very short time. Yeah. And I think that what happens is people see the IBM letters on it and they say, well, we can't afford him. Or, right. you, know, like, you know what right. I mean? And, yeah. and like I say, this guy's expensive. Yeah. And that's just my yeah. perception. You know, I remember after getting laid off, I spoke to, spoke to my lawyer and my lawyer said, oh, IBM. Oh, no, no, no I'm not going there. You know, like, what yeah. do you mean you're not going there? It's like, come on. It's like, <laughs> what, what about David? What happened with David? David and Goliath here. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I looked around at a couple of different jobs. Um, I honestly wanted a change. Um, I was with the fire department at the time, and I looked at the opportunities that might exist within the fire department for somebody of that age. Okay. Um, when you say you were you were with the fire department, what do you mean? I was volunteer fire for uh, Metcalf. I had been. Oh, okay. Fire. Yeah. I had been with the volunteer system for 10 years at that point. So. Oh, wow. So yeah. how did, how did that come about? Um, I was at a party. Yeah. And uh, I knew the, um, the then um, Metcalf fire chief. Okay. No, no, not chief captain captain. Okay. We were at a, at a party with a mutual friend and I got talking with the captain and he told me that they were in desperate need of people. And this was just after Ottawa amalgamated with the Osgood community. <clears throat> okay. So what happened after the amalgamation was that um, the Metcalf station, well, not just Metcalf, but a lot of the rural stations outside of the city of Ottawa had full-time firefighters from Ottawa that would volunteer outside of Ottawa. Okay? I see. So what happened was once they amalgamate and become part of the city, okay, the union rule is, no, you can't do that. You can't be a volunteer and a full-timer because they can f- consider it a conflict, okay? I so see. Metcalf lost, I believe, six people off the floor in one shot. Oh, wow. So when you've got a department of 25 people and you lose six people right away, you're losing a ton of experience. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. And the conversation I had with the captain was, 
uh, you careful what I say here, but uh, it sounded to me like, you know, they were kind of desperate, in desperate need of people. Okay? Yeah. So it was something that always tweaked my mind. I was like, I was, like I said before, I always enjoy a new challenge. I always enjoy yeah. learning new things. You and obviously don't have a fear of heights though, Tony. I did. I did. I Are you now, serious? Like, like how yeah. bad, like, like how well, bad it, was your fear? Put me on a six foot ladder and I'd shake like a leaf. But Are you serious? Oh yeah, oh yeah. But like I, I like I, I'm I'm terrified of heights, and I'm I'm listening to this feeling bad for you. Yeah, it is, Paul. You challenge yourself, okay? It's like, yeah, okay, I got this fear of heights. Yeah, but if you if I look down, if I if I got up on anything like beyond at six feet or higher, like as soon as I look down, I'm done. Like I'm frozen. There's your problem. Don't look down. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that's what everyone says. <laughs> so, yeah. So so basically, um. So knowing this, okay, yeah. and knowing that I, when I was in my security role with IBM, okay, I worked at home, okay? Okay. And I worked, my customers were all over the globe. So I'd be on the phone at two in the morning talking to somebody in China or four in the morning talking to somebody in Prague, Czechoslovakia or wherever, okay? Yeah. So my hours were all over the board. Okay. And the, the agreement that I had that our manager had made with us is basically... I don't care when you do it, as long as it's done. And as long as your projects are on time and on budget, okay, then go and do your job. I don't care when you're doing it. Yeah. And what I did was I approached my manager and I told him, I said, listen, I said, you know, the community we live in, I said, they're in desperate need of people for the fire department. And yeah. I would like to take up the challenge. I said, so do you have issue with me joining the fire department knowing that there's going to be days when you're going to try to reach me and I can't answer my phone because I'm busy at a fire yeah. or I'm going to be, you know, leaving my work because my pager is going and there's a car crash or the like. And basically like he gave me his, his blessings and he said, no, I says, I admire you go for it. So, um, so that's where it started. And okay. uh, yeah, you know what? I loved it. I mean, you know, you talk about fear of heights. I had a major. Yeah. Yeah. Heights. I want to get into that. How, like how, how did you deal with that? Um, you know, it's one of those, you don't want to look like the chicken. I had told them when I joined the fire department that I really had a fear of heights and that I'm very claustrophobic. So, you know, they told me, look, well, no worries. So we know that we'll work with you and we'll try to help you. So basically it was gradually, gradually, gradually getting a little bit higher and a little bit higher. And the more I learned, the more I realized that it wasn't an issue anymore. As long as I was confident in myself that I was being as safe as I could be. Okay. okay. So, okay. you know, they, they require that you wear a harness and strap and lock yourself onto your ladder or lock yourself onto the elevating device when you're on a truck or something of that nature. Yeah. They're telling you that for a reason. Okay. And it's not just a matter of being the good soldier. It's a matter of they're telling you that so that you're safe and it right. gives you a state right. of mind that you feel safe. So you lose that, you lose oh, that apprehension of, or that, that fear of being up in the air. Yeah, and point. I mean, we got to a point where we had a truck in our station at one point, um, had a basket that would put you up at 110 or 109 feet. Holy and cow. yeah, so like, I mean, I'd go up there and it, it didn't phase. And me. you went on uh, that? Oh yeah, all the time. Lots of times, lots of times. But, but when you say, hang on, when you say basket, like, like you, like you got all the, the sides are all around you. It's closed. Yeah. You're, you're standing in, you're standing inside of a basket with, um, you know, I, I don't remember what the dimensions are. I'm going to say they were probably uh, eight feet oh, okay. wide by four feet deep or five feet deep or something like that. 
And then you're standing in there and you got a railing that's up to your waist. Okay. You've got your air pack on and then you've got your harness on, you're strapped. So, you know, yeah, uh, it's, you you get a feeling of security when you do it and you're following the rules and you're following the policy and the process. Uh, You get that feeling of security and that doesn't take long, but you get past it. Now, honestly, I never got past the, the, uh, I never got past the uh, claustrophobic. Never. Really? No, never. Never. Went through several exercises trying. And uh, one time they had to actually pull me out by my feet because I just froze up. And it was just, no, this is not going to happen. Okay. And like, like you were, were you fighting a fire when you froze up? No, no. This was in a practice, in a practice uh, environment. Okay. Um, I can't say it ever bothered me in a fire situation. <laughs> yeah. Maybe because you don't think of it. It's just it's instinctive. Maybe you, your mind's, yeah. your mind's occupied with other things. So yeah. 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 Um, wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Any, any, I just want to touch on one more thing on the fires and, and like yeah. any major fires that like were crazy that you remember or went through. Um, went to a couple of major fires. I guess the one that impacted me, and left a sort of, I don't want to say a scar, but a mark. Yeah. Um, we were called out to support um, the Cumberland Area Fire Department. And uh, turned out that um, it had been an explosion, a uh, suicide issue, okay. where the father, um, I, I don't know the details of it, but basically the father blew up the house with a can of propane and took his kids with him. Okay. Um so when you say blew up the house and took the kids with them, like they were in the house or they were out of the house? Yeah, they found dad inside the house with a gun in his hand. Oh. And uh, dad laid on the front lawn all night because he was uh, deceased. And then okay. uh, uh, three or four days later, they found the children downstairs in the basement that oh, like, the sure. house, the oh, house had terrible. collapsed uh, around oh, them. Kind of thing. Wow. Um, it was a marital issue, and uh, yeah, we were at that scene. I was at that. We, we got called out to that scene on a Sunday evening, and uh, we were there until well into the day the next day. Okay. And um, you know, <clears throat> because the because the father had deceased, and because it was a crime scene, and because it was an act of fire, yeah. um, the coroner was late getting there. Not late getting there, but. Because it's an active fire scene, there's rules and protocol that has to be followed. Yeah, they're delayed. And, yeah, you know, I mean, the guy just laid there in a tarp, and I was like, okay, <laughs> you know. So it, it kind of left a mark. Yeah, um, I guess locally, um, I guess there's two incidents that left marks on me. One was um, a major accident that occurred in the intersection at uh, Bank and Victoria. In okay. that um, an elderly lady lost her life and oh. um, her grandson lost his life. We were able to get one grandson out alive okay. through the back. Okay. Oh, um, so that kind of left a mark because I knew the family. Oh, that's tough. Yeah. And another one that left a mark was an, another uh, a young, young guy, um, same age as my son. And he had managed to wrap his car well around a telephone pole on eighth line near the golf course. Okay. And we got the call early on a Sunday morning. Um, and uh, yeah, we worked on that car. So, so in the fire world, you don't say get the kid out of the car, you get the car off the kid. Wow. And uh, we worked on that for more than four hours. Okay? Holy cow. Uh, we were starting, to, we were starting to get the word from medical that, you know, if you guys don't get the car off this guy soon, 
he could lose his leg because his leg was so mangled into the car. Oh, so he was he was alive. Oh yeah, very much so. Very much. Oh so. my lord. Yeah. So so uh, yeah, those I would say those are the three incidents that left a mark. I mean, they all do, but yeah. more some more than other. Yeah. At the end of yeah. the day, you know, like that kid that wrapped his car around for a telephone pole. At the end of the day, you go home, you lose some sleep, you might not eat properly, and everything else. But it is incredibly, incredibly gratifying at the end uh-huh. of the day to know that you helped somebody that was in a really bad situation. Yeah, true. You did, yeah, very good you, point. you did a little bit of something to help that guy yeah, or point. that person that was in a really bad situation. So it's, it's just, I used to get a lot of gratification from that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I would say too, it must keep you grounded too. Cause you know, it does. It does. It makes you realize how yeah. lucky, how fortunate you are. Yeah, no, yeah. exactly. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Cause it's yeah. Very easy to lose sight of that. Uh, so, so let's, my, and I apologize for getting off. <laughs> no, no worries. Don't worry. So, so you're, you're at home, you're thinking about what, what am I going to do now in terms of a career and where let's pick up from there. So, so we're, we're past the layoff position point now. Um, so I looked at a couple of jobs, looked at a couple of opportunities and nothing really panned out. And I start, I wound up just for the sake of, because I was feeling like, um, like I said earlier, I, I felt like a loose sail in the wind and I didn't know what I wanted. I needed yeah. to do something. I wasn't old enough or rich enough to retire. Yeah. So I needed to do something and I needed to do something to occupy my mind more than anything. Okay. So I decided that, what the heck, I'll take a job at Home Depot. I'm in a world <laughs> that I enjoy. I love tools. I love working with hands and stuff like that. So I'll take a job at Home Depot. So I did that, and I have to say I enjoyed it when I first joined, but I made the mistake of becoming an assistant supervisor or a supervisor and assistant manager because okay. the world changes when you do that in retail. All of a sudden, you're a babysitter. And, yeah, yeah. Um, so like I say, so I you really found it more working. of a babysitting role. Yeah. Well, the problem is you get stuck between a rock and a hard place because managers, management is pushing you to do things, and when you bring it to the floor to the people that work with you, they're pushing back. Okay. So you're in a no-win situation. You're always the bad guy. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, it just kind of took away from it. I just didn't – it. that and I was also – I mean, it's not, not all their fault. There was also <laughs> um, – during my time with IBM yeah. and during my time with the fire department, I had a lot of freedom. I had a lot of – flexibility okay but i also had a lot of um fire is considered paramilitary um so you basically do as you're told okay um within ibm it's like there's your job that's what you're paid to do yeah that's what you're expected to do when i got to ibm or when i got to home depot I found it to be a very different world. Okay. There's a much, you can tell people that, you know, this is your job and this is what you need to do. You can do that till the cows come home, but chances are they're not going to listen to you. Okay. So you wind up doing it yourself just to say it's done. So, oh, I see. Yeah, it, it just wasn't enjoyable. So I stayed there for a while. I got, came out of that. And then I tried doing the, the home improvement thing, but that's really a rat race world. There's so many people, so many shady people in the world. Okay. Uh, in that world. 
that it just didn't work for me. So, okay. So I looked around and I was looking at a franchise, um, which really tweaked my interest because it had the creative side, which I enjoy. It had the hands-on side that I enjoy. Yeah. It had the technology. So you, you, we working with computers and all that yeah. kind of fun stuff. Okay. So I really looked hard and long at this franchise opportunity. I met with the people. I visited a couple of their operations. I had a really good feeling for it. And I thought, you know, that's the right way to go. Because they teach you. You're not reinventing the wheel. They teach you what you need to know. They teach you how to do certain things. So um, with that, I put together a business plan. And I walked into the bank that I'd been dealing with for the past uh, 150 years. And I quickly learned that uh, banks are there to help you on sunny days. Um, They're not interested in your business plan. They're not interested in what your thoughts are. They don't believe that you can make this work. Yeah, it was a little eye-opening, eh, Tony? Oh, yeah, very much so. Very much so. So, um, <clears throat> now this this business that you're talking about for the audience, yeah, is this is Signs and Stitches? Is that it? Well, basically, Signs and Stitches was derived from that. Okay. Okay. So, because I wasn't able to get the the financial help, I yeah. didn't want to go. Well, first of all, I didn't want to go and get myself in all kinds of debt. Right. But. Right. Um, that, and I also didn't want to be taking money out of our home. Um, so um, the franchise opportunity was just a no-brainer. It just couldn't happen. So what I, I did was I took what I learned from from my time investigating the business yeah. and learning about it. And um, I said, okay, well, if I can't get the money or if I don't have the money, then I'm going to do it myself. Okay. And that's precisely what I did. So my wife and I started something called In Stitches. So our goal was to get into embroidery, screen print, decorated apparel. That was our okay. goal. That's okay. where we started. So oh, our, wow. original, our original business was called In Stitches. Okay. Uh, we operated that for <clears throat> just about a year. And, you know, things were going okay. Yeah. And... Uh, <clears throat> bloody pickle um got a call from a friend of mine and he said uh he says listen he says uh, why don't you guys come over for coffee tonight he said i'd like to have a conversation with you okay so I said, my wife i said laura i said i got a feeling something's up with john they said he wants me to go over. he wants us to go over and have coffee he needs to talk <laughs> i said it's kind of out of character you know yeah so i've known john for many years <clears throat> and uh Went over and had coffee with him and his wife, and uh, he slides a file folder across the table. I said, what's that, John? He goes, take a look. So I opened it up, and it was an offer for me to buy his business. So he used to run a business called Osgood Sign. Oh, I see. So John had been in the sign business since 1976, um, had done him well. He raised five kids with the business, um, was a home-based business. He worked it out of the, out of the garage. Yeah. And uh, he was 72 at the time. So he said, it's time that I retire. It's time that I hang it up and say enough. Yeah. Um, His offer was uh, one of those offers you can't refuse. My only only concern with it was that he also has five kids. 
So my question to John was, um, you know, I'm very interested. Um, I, I'm, flat, I'm flattered with the offer. Um, however, you do have five kids and I need to know that you have offered this to your five kids and they've all turned you down. And his response was, I'm not offering it to my kids because I'll never see the money. <laughs> so I left it there. Um, I figured, you know, at least I felt like I did the right thing. Okay. I didn't want to feel like I was um, pulling it out from underneath him. I mean, yeah. I just wanted to be, I wanted to be honest. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the offer he made me, Paul, was just like phenomenal, incredible. Okay. So we we're buying this 20 year old business, huge customer list, all kinds of supplies, in, 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 <clears throat> inventory and machines and the like. Yeah. So we bought Osgood signs. We relocated it into our space. And that's when we became Osgood Signs and Stitches. Ah, uh, I see. I see. Okay. <clears throat> so we, we liked the Osgood Signs name because it had been around for a while. We wanted to keep our in stitches because it reflected what we were doing with the apparel side. Okay. And we just felt Osgood Signs and Stitches worked. Now we've since gone, we're trying to drop the Osgood portion because it puts too much of a, we don't want the geography on it. I want to be I able to serve, I want to be able to serve people. I don't care where they are. Okay. Right. Right. Um, so we want to drop <clears throat> the Osgood portion off of it. So okay. Now we just now we're just going with. I mean, legally we are Osgood signs and stitches. Um, everything else is just signs and stitches. Period. Um, when I say I want to be able to deliver and sell my products to <clears throat> anybody in, I don't care where they are. And I don't want geography to be a factor in it. Yeah. Um, we won a contract with the RCMP. Um, we are actually in our fourth year. They just renewed me actually yesterday. Okay. Uh, we are in our fourth year of a contract with the RCMP and we do their embroidered badges for them. Oh, that's awesome. Good for you. And these badges go all over Canada. Okay. We okay. just, that was my, my morning exercise this morning was printing our embroidering badges that are going to a Callowit, okay, and they are actually done in what's called Aboriginal syllabolics. Okay. So it's actually Aboriginal symbols that they use instead of spelling like with A-E-I-O-N-U and all the rest oh, of that. Oh, I see. Okay. They use, they use, they use symbols. Okay. So I've been working with the uh, RCMP detachment um, chief and an elder from the, the Calwood area. And they translate the images for me. Um, and uh, we in turn embroider them and we send them up there. So, <clears throat> so if you're ever in a Calwood and you see an RCMP officer, yeah, that's, know that those badges came from me. <laughs> wow. That is, that is, that is incredible. That yeah. Is so, incredible. so we deliver these badges all over the country and what's happened now is that's translated into uh, we're doing work for the city of uh, Vancouver. Um, okay. You okay. Know, because because we're going that's and that's that's why I wanted to get rid of the the geography off of our name and it's like I don't care where it's going. Yeah. I just want them to see you know I don't want them to be saying oh well they're all the way from Osgood and Ottawa well that's too far away I don't want that. Right. Right. I don't and know. You know the, per, I don't know if it's pertinent or not, but in my right. mind, I just don't want it there. Yeah. And well, you know, that's, that's a really good point, Tony, because there's so much more business right now. That's, that's global. 
Uh, and a lot of people uh, are finding each other, obviously, on the web without, uh, without you know, thinking twice about, you know, where are they physically located, you know? Yeah, yeah, it shouldn't be, uh, I mean, we're trying, be we're trying to push more and more for online sales. I mean, yeah. I love the local stuff. I love supporting the local. Yeah. I love helping, you know, working with the local businesses and getting together the, the community association, the business associations and so on, local meet and greet. I love that aspect of it. Yeah. But I also have to think in terms of my business where, you know, as much as I love the local stuff, uh, you guys aren't going to feed me. <laughs> forever. No, no, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, exactly. No. So you have to broaden well your said. scope a little bit. And that's, um, that's what we're trying to do. Is, uh, yeah. 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 Well said. Well said. What, so yeah. when you're, when you're starting, uh, you're starting the business. Yeah. And, and I always touch on this with, with guests with, with a business, because I think this is very, very important. Uh, spending most of my days on social media, it, it, the dark side I find of social media oftentimes is you only see the finished product. You only see the good times. You only see the nice photo. You don't see the hours of sweat equity that goes in and the hardships. So what were some of the early struggles, Tony, that you had to overcome when you started? Uh, in stitches. Well, like I, like I said, I mean the, the initial, the initial was uh, I devoted a lot of time and spent a lot of time building business plans and doing the math and doing educating myself. You know. Yeah. And um, like I said, I quickly realized that banks are only there on sunny days. Yeah. Um, so that was probably the first hurdle. Yeah. And then, um, you know, okay, so so that's not going to work. So. I'm not one to back down from a challenge. So I decided that I would go it alone. Well, that's great. So went out and spent some money and invested in some of the equipment and went for the training and learned and experimented and spent all kinds of time on that. Yeah. Ruined a lot of clothing, but you know, it's part <laughs> of the learning curve. Um, so, you know, that that's a challenge in itself. You start to, you know, you, you, I think it's only human nature. You start to doubt yourself. You start to question yourself. Geez, did I make the right decision spending $25,000 on this? Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So there's that. And then there's, um, now that I've got this piece of equipment and I've spent a ton of time uh, learning it and wasting all kinds of apparel to learn it. Well, I got to start selling, <laughs> selling something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because, because now you got to turn the revenue you know, tap on. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. the next challenge is, you know, getting it in front of people and, you know, getting them to trust you enough to say, yeah, we'll buy this from you or yeah, we'll give you the project or we'll give you the contract. For this, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that in itself is a challenge. I mean, they like say, I found that um, you're going out and you're beating the path for the very first time. Mm -hmm. um, I've always, I've also always worked for a paycheck. I've never been self-employed. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. <clears throat> this is a whole new reality for me. Um, and I have to say, I love it. I, I truly, I truly, truly love it. Um, but it was a big challenge. And yeah. it's, well, there's definitely um, an adjustment for sure. Oh God. Yeah. No, no twist about it. I had yeah. a long conversation actually with our local uh, member of government, uh, Pierre Paul of your, he had put out an issue or a, an article about small business and I challenged him on it. And he actually invited me 
to his office and we actually sat and had a drink and shared our thoughts and the like. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I think we need to, what I expressed to Pierre Polivier was that we need to start really looking at small business in this country. Yeah. And we need to have a proper definition of what small business is in this country. Yeah. Um, I had a conversation with somebody from the business development corporation and they, she told me, she says, we're always here to support small business. Okay. Okay. She was talking in terms of tens of millions of dollars. And I looked at her and I almost chuckled and I said, listen, I said, if you're talking in terms of tens of millions of dollars, okay, you're not talking small business anymore. Yeah. You're talking bigger business, maybe not major. You're not talking IBM or General Motors. But she's not talking. She's not talking about the mom and pop sole proprietorship. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I said, you know, if if that's your if that's your conversation point is to talk on those lines and in those numbers, you're not talking small business anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, so this that's was well the conversation I also had with Pierre Polivier. I said, you know, we need a proper definition of what small business is. And we need a structure that's, that's going to be out there to support and help grow these small businesses. Yeah. I said, rather than going to the bank with a business plan and having the bank turn you away, you know, what about some form of a supportive education? Hey, we'll put the money on the table, but you have to, you know, visit our office once a month to go over your books and learn yeah. from us and we'll yeah. teach you. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah Rather than definitely. just saying, uh, no, not today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very well said. Yeah. Very mm. well said. So just, just before, just before we leave the business itself, maybe yeah. if you can give the audience um, sort of that overview, Tony, of, of what, what you do for, so I, I'm going to put it in. Uh, I'm going to put it in a couple of different buckets, if you wish. Okay? Yeah, for sure. Um, signs and stitches, as it would say. Um, so we do signs. Yeah. Um, signs are basically everything from a real estate sign, a lawn sign. Um, you know, we've done signs up to. I think the widest, the biggest we did was like 16 by 16 or something to that effect. Okay. Um, okay. You know, up in the air, down on the ground, uh, installed, not installed, uh, backlit and the like. So we've, you know, done all those kinds of things. Okay. Um, we do a lot of sm smaller signage. Um, we do, we did a lot of sign <clears throat> signage for COVID directional signage. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. For the stores here. you're saying? Yeah, for the stores, restaurants, pay here, walk there, don't go there, yeah. go here kind of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Those kinds of signs. We did a lot of that with COVID. COVID actually wound up being a almost a godsend to us because we it made us so busy last year. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny how things work. You anticipate that it's going to do the worst for you, but it wound up being the best for us. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. So, so uh, staying in the tune of signs, um, like I say, we've we've done the gamut, like backlit signs, frontlit signs, um, big, small, round, square, all kinds. Yeah. In that same line, we also do vehicle uh, lettering and logo lettering and the like. Okay. Um, we've done small trucks, big trucks, um, you know, all the colors under the sun. We do not do vehicle wraps. Okay. And I have my own reservations about that. Um, I don't like what it d can do, and I've seen it happen where it can damage the paint on a vehicle 
Oh, okay. So I tend to lay, lean away from that. I don't want to owe somebody a paint job on their new truck. Yeah. Um, I also like um, I also like a little bit more of simplicity. I think I think sometimes less is more. Um, okay. I recall a conversation I had with a local businessman. He was um, he was in the heating and air conditioning business. And he was trying to decide what he wanted on his truck. So I was trying to describe for him what I had in mind. And as we were having the conversation, a truck pulled up to the local pizzeria to pick up his supper, I guess. Yeah. And the two of us were standing there and he looked at me, he goes, that's what I don't want. And this guy had his truck wrapped and he had so much on his truck that you couldn't understand what it was that he did. Oh, it was too busy. Too busy, too much, too much information. We're going to see that truck for, okay, in that case, we stopped for his pizza. So we were able to look at it for, you know, a couple of minutes. In general, that truck is going to go by you. You're not going to see it, okay? Yeah. And even with the truck standing in in front of us and us having the opportunity to really look at it, okay, you'd be hard-pressed to know what this guy does, okay? Yeah. So my theory, and and, and I think everybody's got their own way of looking at things, but I think less is more, okay? Okay. I think the basics have to be there, who you are, what you do, and how to contact me. Those, are, yep. to me, are the pertinent issues. Those, to yeah, me, are the point. pertinent yeah, parts, point. okay? So if you have, I don't know, let's use that tire company, for example. Okay, we do work for one of the local tire companies. His trucks are clean and simple. They're black with orange and chrome, okay? Okay. And to make his trucks recognizable, we've used a specific tire tread that goes up on an angle along the side of the box, okay? I see, yeah, yeah. His trucks are all the same. They're all unique. The color schemes are all the same, but it's got the pertinent parts. It's got his logo. It's got yeah. his company name, his name. It's got his contact information. To me, like I say, those are the pertinent parts. So that's what we do with vehicles, vehicle lettering. In the same vein as vehicle lettering, we can also do it on windows. Somebody decides they want information on their windows about their business hours or the like, or uh, that kind of thing. We can do okay. that. So, like I say, signs, like we're all over the board on that. We've done all kinds. Yeah. Then you get into the apparel. So yeah. in, in apparel, we have several different suppliers of the raw apparel, okay, um, which we can embroider, we can screen print, or we can imprint, okay? Oh, okay. Several different processes that we use or can use to put your logo or put your information onto your apparel, such that we're doing for the Metcalf Community Association. You may have seen their sweaters around. Yeah, um, yeah, the My so, Metcalf. You know, yeah, it's, awesome. it's, it's a way, yeah, exactly. So it's a way of, you know, putting your name out there, <clears throat> uh, putting your name out there for people to see. You know, if you're a business, okay, this puts your name out there for your customers to see. Um, yeah. If you're a business, and again, I'm going to use the tire guy as my example. So we've done all his trucks, okay? Well, now we've done all his apparel also. And what he, our initial conversation on the apparel side was he didn't want his guys working in muscle shirts or beer shirts okay. or, or too much skin showing or, yeah. you know, he had some criteria. He wanted his guys to look, you know, sort of reasonably professional without being in uniform. Uniforms are expensive. So yeah. we created a line of t-shirts and hoodies for him and jackets where uh, they all have his logo. 
Oh, that's very nice. They all all have his company name on it, okay? And they all have his contact information on it. So now his guys are, um, without using the word word uniform, but it's consistent across all his guys. His guys are all dressed the same. And it's a requirement of working there is you wear his T-shirt. Okay. And they're all advertising the firm. Exactly. And now he also doesn't have to get into the debate and the argument about, oh, I told you not to wear muscle shirts or, you know, <laughs> yeah. your belly's hanging out or whatever, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So yeah. It, it works in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Very so, well said. Yeah. So, so we do a lot of that kind of stuff. <clears throat> okay. Part of our, part of our, I told you before that I had looked initially at an, in, at a, a, a franchise operation. So, you know, we, I don't want to say I stole, but I swiped, I stole a lot of different aspects of their business process and their business model. Okay. And okay. that, that franchise, part of their target audience is the small business guy. Okay. So again, using this tire person as the example. So he first approached me to do his truck. <clears throat> when we first had a conversation, he said, this is what I want. This is what I want. He said, but I want something that's going to make my truck stand out. Okay. So we did the tire trip. Yeah, I love that. Good, you know, good idea. I mean, there's other people that have it now, but uh, I think he was one of the first in the area. So once I did that, okay, um, and this is in keeping with with the business model that I was trying to develop was, I want to try and support the small business guy, okay, by not one not putting any minimums on like when you buy apparel. I don't have any minimums. You can phone me and say I want one T-shirt. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. So with the tire guy, okay. So now he's given me his logo. So now my job is to say, okay, so we've got your logo to do on your truck. You're going to use the same logo on your apparel. Yeah. Well, you don't have to go somewhere else for it. Yeah, I see. I'll do it for you. So it winds up being like a one-stop shop for everything, for your signs. So I've done job site signs for him. I've done his vehicles. I've done, uh, signs for his shop i've done all his apparel um you know so it's you, you kind of cover the gamut and he yeah. doesn't have to go to a third party or another company to say right oh, and it's well, all standardized he, yeah exactly he does yeah. my signs and i'll go to somewhere else for my for my kooks for my guys or the like not at all here and that's the model we've tried to develop within our my business here or our business is okay. that we're here for the small guy for the small operator yeah, it could be a local HVAC guy. He's got one truck on the road, but he wants, you know, T-shirts or dress shirts even for his five guys. Well, you can go to some places and order those five T-shirts and they'll say, oh, yeah, they're 20 bucks each. If you order 500 of them, kind of do. <laughs> so we tried to, yeah. we've tried to narrow that down and say, okay, well, we don't do minimums, okay? You want yeah. one T-shirt, I'll do one T-shirt. And my thought process on that is that, you know what? If I make you happy today with one T-shirt, you might call me back tomorrow. For yeah. Okay. So that's that's just the way I, that's the way I operate. Yeah. Yeah. That's very well said. That's yeah. Very well said. So and then now we are also we are in the process right now of putting a CNC in place. Okay. okay. Where we are going to be offering, um, hopefully by mid summer, early summer, we will be up and running. Um, but we will be offering more dimensional signage instead of doing the the flat stuff all the time. What is a CNC? I I don't know what a CNC is. It's a computer-operated router. Okay. Okay. Um, I can send you information or a a video if you like. But basically what it's used, it's it's a computer-operated router that I can lay out a design on my computer. Okay. 
and have this machine cut those items out of just millions of different substrates, but I could do it on acrylic or a foam or all kinds of different substrates. So what it's going to allow me to do right now, what we do is, you know, flat signs, okay, be it printed or cut vinyl, it's all flat stuff, okay? Okay. With the CNC, what we'll be able to do now is cut the different shapes, okay, on acrylics and create layers. So you get the interesting shadows, you get the interesting shapes. It's, oh, it's, I see. It's a whole new ballgame for us. So, okay. uh, like I say, <clears throat> we're hoping to have it up and running and pass the learning curve um, midsummer, sort of, so we're starting to come out. Um, okay that's that's a new thing on our on our uh on oh, our excellent list. yeah excellent yeah. excellent so that's our business in a nutshell basically we okay um, yeah it, it, and if and if someone was starting a business today because there's a lot of people a lot of people listening that maybe are out of work they're thinking of going into business for themselves maybe starting a side hustle what what advice would you give to them tony if they were starting a business today go for it um, don't get yourself caught up in uh, the naysayers because okay? yeah. it doesn't matter what you try to do or want to do there's always going to be somebody with a different opinion yeah well said uh, so don't get caught up in that if you feel in your heart that you can and want to do it then do it okay um, if you really enjoy what you're doing um, if you really enjoy your your day-to-day activities and you can make a couple of dollars on it, then um, you're not going to ever work a day in your life. You're just going to enjoy your day. And that's so true of my days now. I mean, I get up and I'm in the shop by 7.30 in the morning, look over my workload, get on with it. And, you know, some days I finish earlier, some days I finish later. Yeah. Um, But just, you know, if you have something in mind, uh, be it a side hustle or be it a main hustle, um, do it. And you'll, I think, you know, if you can have any level of success, I think you'll never regret what you did. And I think okay. more and more people should be doing that also because um, the days of working for Bell until you retire are gone. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think everybody should have. Or working better. miserably just because it's Bell. Or, you know. Yeah. And I mean, I'm guilty of that too, because I mean, I wound up in the computer world, but it's not where I planned to be as a yeah. kid. I always wanted to be an architect. Or a drummer. Okay. 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 I never pictured myself working in a computer world. I mean, computers, <laughs> I couldn't even spell computers. Yeah. So, you know, and then you get to that point where it's just like, it becomes just like, oh, it's another paycheck kind of deal. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah, yeah. just yeah. working because it's a paycheck. And yeah, um, yeah it becomes that cycle. <clears throat> you know, when you think about how many years you're going to work for, you better enjoy it because it's a yeah. long hustle. It's a long road. So, yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. So, yeah, so to answer your question, go for it. Don't. Let yeah, great. I, and great advice don't about that. Don't let advice. stuff get in your way. Just you know, find. Yeah, a way. absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. If you have the will. If you have the will. You'll find a way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it's funny. It's a, it's a great, great comment about the naysayers. That yeah. Years ago, I read so, someone's quote. I forget who it was now, and they said. You know, there's always going to be people that are going to rain on your parade, and they do yep. that because they'll never have a parade. Well, they do that because they don't have the the uh, testicular fortitude to do it themselves. Yeah, very well said. Very well said. Yeah. Three things, Tony. Three things that have had the biggest impact on your success. If you can narrow it down to three. Three things? 
Yeah. What's the okay, biggest well, impact? I mean, she's not a thing, but I'm going to say my mom. Could <laughs> be qualities. Mom yeah, absolutely. Yeah, those a are great qualities. on me, okay? Because my mother was, uh, she was a damn hard worker. Yeah. Okay. She was a smart lady. Um, she was a kind of lady that always found a way to make things happen. She yeah. always found a way to, you know, something needed to be fixed. She didn't have the money to call service man. She bloody figure it out. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think some of that may have run off in me. Um, I'm very much like my mother in that I like to work. I like to work hard. Um, I'm not afraid of long hours. I tell people I traded in my nine to five for seven twenty four. Um, <laughs> oh, that's a great one. I'm going to use that. One. Say that again. <laughs> I traded in my nine to five for seven twenty four. That is awesome. That is so awesome. I, I you know if uh, so I'm, like to answer your question. Three things. I think there's three three people in my, or not, maybe not people, but episodes in my life. If you wish. Yeah. I think the first one would be my mom. I think she imparted on me the excellent. The, excellent. The, the willpower, the, if you have the will, you'll find a way um, to just do it and go and, you know, get your hands dirty and go. Okay. So I think that was be my number one. Um, my number two would be, um, I worked for this guy while I was in school. Um, worked for him for two summers, two, okay. three, summer, three summers while I was in school. And he wasn't an old guy. He was, you know, maybe only a couple of years older than me. Um, didn't have a lot of money to get his business started, but he just had the willpower to make it happen. Okay. And what he was doing was creating or making this laminated type wood that just wasn't available and he was making it. So he would buy the raw sheets of plywood and the raw sheets of um, press board and he would laminate it with this type of plastic material. And he did this in his basement with a machine that he built with his father and his wife. And it was to the point that his business was going so well that he actually, well, going, you know, it was a startup, but it was, it was, he was, he had the fortitude to say, I'm going to make this work. But one of the things he had to do was he had to cut open one of his windows in his basement so that he could pass the sheets of wood out to his father. Oh, wow. The window. Okay. And that's how, you know, he, how firm he was in his mind that he was going to make this work. He yeah. like that investment of cutting open the basement wall so yeah. that he could get it. Anyway, I wound up working for this guy for, I think, three summers. And he, <clears throat> I don't know, I, I would love to meet him one day and tell him the mark he made on me because this is a man that worked night and day. Okay, He was good to the people that worked for him and worked with him. Um, he was fair with us. He always took care of us. Um, he treated us like he, we were family. Um, and I always, um, you speak to my wife or speak to some of my closer friends, they will tell you that he, he left uh, a huge mark on me. Okay? The guy's name is Bob Cote, and um, I still use his name as a password now. Um, that's how much of an impact he made on me. Okay? Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you always meet that person that's your sort of your mentor or your inspiration. That was the guy. Okay. Uh, okay, so you asked me for three things. I guess the, the third thing that really impacted me was getting laid off. I never anticipated it. I never saw it coming. And I look back on it now, and the, there's no two ways about it. I kind of got lost in myself, um, kind of did the pity party for a little bit, um, lost my way. I lost my, um, 
my uh, com- my self confidence, if you wish, and then deciding that I was going to build this business. Okay, it's probably the best thing I could have done, but I would never have done it if I didn't get laid off. You know what I mean? Is that coming out the right way? Yeah, that's that's well said because you know you were you were kind of forced into it. You got that. Yeah, I know two ways about it. My feet, my feet were held yeah. to the fire. So. You know, if they wouldn't have done that, I would have continued on my miserable way at IBM until I either died or they threw me out. Um, yeah. But because they laid me off, I mean, like I say, there was a little bit of a rough ride at the beginning, but it forced me to do what I've done. And at this point now, I look back on it and I say, damn, I wish I had done this like 30 years ago instead of five. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Um, oh, was there a positive well impact? I don't know. Was it if it was or not? But I, I want to look at it positively. So, yeah. What? Just just for for those in the audience that, again, maybe if they're thinking of of going into business, maybe they're already in business, and uh, and and maybe just starting out, looking for some additional advice. What does a typical day look like, Tony? From Typical day. Um, I like to be in the shop around 7.30 in the morning. Um, I review my emails. I review what's coming in from um, our online store. I look at what's coming in from our CMP. Um, sort of look at what's new on that given day. Um, look at the workload. What do I have? Like what I have left from yesterday, the day before, what's on the schedule. Um and uh, plan my day out like that and then decide, okay, yeah, well, today I, you know, I have to order this material and, you know, sort of get that plan going. Um, so I know that, okay, I've got everything in, on hand. I've got what I need in stock. I've responded to my emails. I've responded to the quotes and the like, and then get on with it. Um, just basically um, try, I try as much as I can to do my orders uh, first in, first out. I don't like to put anybody in front of anybody else. Nobody's yeah. more important. Everybody's important. Um, so I try to tackle my my projects and my jobs, you know, one at a time, one behind the other. First one in gets done today, and then that sort of thing. Um, the end of the day, I will again review my email, and then evening time. I typically tend to use that time for um, a little bit of learning, uh, a little bit of uh, self development, if you wish, um, where I will. Uh, I don't know, watch a YouTube or read a book or look at something online or do some reading online or whatever, but just something that's industry related and try to use that as learning time. I usually shut down. Like when I say shut down my, I'm personally shutting down. I usually shut down by eight o'clock at night. And at that point I say, I'm turning it off and I'm going to my empty box. Um, And that's part of to keep some balance because when I say I trade into my job from nine to five to seven twenty-four, that is reality. <clears throat> and if you don't have the discipline to say, "Okay, the day's over," you will yeah. never be over because there's always work to be done. There's always oh, the, exactly work. yeah. There's it, always it, something to be done. Okay, so I mean, very I well stay, said. I could stay awake seven seven days in a row and keep at it. Okay, yeah. I'm not going to yeah. get to the end of my work list. Okay, yeah. So you got to plan it, schedule it. And, you know, just try to stay in front of it, but you have to also turn off once in a while. And I do the same thing on the weekends. I typically work on Saturday morning <clears throat> and then I okay. switch, and I shut down at two o'clock on yeah. uh, Saturday afternoon. 
And two o'clock Saturday afternoon, it's time for to go and float in the pool and yeah. have have a pint, an old <laughs> beverage, and um, you know. And Sunday, I try not to work. Sunday, I try to lay yeah. in the hammock and read a book. And it's just yeah. one of those things you have to do. You have to do it for yourself. Oh, it's a, totally, yeah, totally, yeah. totally. And yeah. there's some days I find you're you're so right, especially I find in the winter as we're yes. doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when it's really cold. It's just nothing to do outside. You're stuck mm -hmm. in so you're going to work. And then a lot of times Friday comes mm -hmm. along and you don't even, I don't want to look at it. It's like, I'm, I'm done. Yeah. Need yeah. A day off, you know? Yeah, exactly. Did you, did you have any mentors along the way that you looked up to Tony or other people you followed or? Not in this industry. No, no, not okay. in this industry. I mean, I had mentors and people that I looked up to, like I elaborated on earlier, being yeah. my mom and this Bob Cote guy. Those yeah. to me would be the mentors that I look up to the most. Okay. Um, in this industry, no, I didn't. Um, <clears throat> when I bought Osgood Signs, John was incredibly helpful and, okay. and the like. Um, I don't know if I would consider him a mentor or a teacher. Um, he was certainly there for me. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I was, I've always been grateful for, to him for that. Um, but, yeah, my, like okay. I say, my, my mentors were the people that instilled the – I don't think my the mentor – I don't think a mentor is somebody that teaches you or leaves you with a skill set. I think a mentor is somebody that leaves you with mindset. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. yeah well said. What, what does Tony have in terms of, um, we'll get what, what I'm going to take music out of this. Um, so I'm going to say, do you have a favorite book or a favorite movie or something on Netflix prime that um, you'd recommend to people? No. I'm not a big movie guy. Um, I probably <laughs> my my probably my favorite movie was Scarface, and that's from like 30 years ago. Um, I tend to listen to music most of the time. Okay. Um, lately, I've become a bit of a CNN junkie. I'm okay. finding the American political system quite comical. Okay. Um, okay. Books. I'm CNN right now Netflix reading. Or? No, not really. Okay. I don't find there's anything of that of particular interest, really. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> probably the one TV program I watch and I have watched for years now is uh, Gold Rush. Um, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, Up it in the Yukon. Well, I just find it kind of inspiring how this. Group, <laughs> well, no, think about it. It's like this this group a group of guys that are down on their luck and they gather up and cobble together and. And they go up to Alaska to mine gold. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's been ongoing for like oh, 10 years now, 12 years. But it's just, I've just taken an interest in it. Um, <clears throat> that's about the only TV I watch. Okay. Um, aside from, like I say, I mean, I've become self-confessed CNN junkie because so, the American the American political <laughs> system is just so fascinating. So let's um, just go to music for a second. I'm assuming, you know, with your musical interest and background, do you have music on while you're working or? Yep. All the time. Stereo is always going either what, on. What do you, on, what do you like? Are you the kind, like I'm like, I'm just, I put it out there. I do the same. I'll either have a podcast on or I'll have music on or. Right. But there's some I have, when it's, I, have, I want uh, different genres. Like some days I want a little jazz, other days it's a little yeah. country. Uh, I'm mantra. the same. Music is very mood dependent. <laughs> That's no, well I'm said. serious. I'm serious. Well like, you know, it's like some days I'm into something a little bit faster, heavier. Yeah. And some days I'm into something a little bit more bluesy. Yeah, some yeah. days I'm into something where I really like music with a jazz influence in it. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Very nice. I, I, uh, I'm a real fan of Sting's solo music. Um, 
Okay. Found that there's a lot of like, you know, different, different horns in it and um, that sort of stuff. So I just found his music is quite interesting. Um, okay. But like I say, it's very mood dependent because, you know, what was I listening to this morning? What was I listening to this morning? I was listening to um, Bob Dylan's son. I'm trying to think of his name. Jacob Dylan, The Wallflowers. Um, oh, The Wallflowers. So yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. Listening to his music. I've got yeah. his, uh, his CD on my, uh, on my iPod. Okay. And, um, yesterday, what was I listening to yesterday? Almond Brothers yesterday. Okay. Uh, Almond Brothers and Marshall Tucker Band. Oh, so, nice. you know, it, it, kind of all over the board, really. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's very Yeah, because there are days where it's like, you know what? I, I want to just, I want to get going here. I want to put on a little, little black dog with some. Yeah. Then other, yeah, exactly. You know what? I'll put on a little jazz and then the kids come in and it's like, oh, dad, you know, what do you got to put that on for? It's like we're at chapters. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, you know, um, my son's a musician. And um, okay, on one of the on one of his records, um, when they you know when they do the thanks to blah blah blah, yeah. On one of his records, he put thanks to my dad for raising me on good music. Oh, very <laughs> so nice. It's, very nice. It's fascinating. It's fascinating because like you know, I mean, he's my son. He's like in his thirties now, and yeah, he's more into the music of my era yeah. than he is into the music of his era. Okay, um, and what does he play? So is he on the drums? He plays. He plays bass guitar. Oh, bass guitar. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, were you, you just know, drums, he, Tony? Just drums. Yeah. Right. Well, I tried. Who's your Let's favorite drummer? Way. Who's your favorite drummer? John? My favorite drummer would be Ian Pace of Deep Purple. Really? Wow. Yeah. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but if you watch yeah, him yeah. or listen to him, he is an incredible drummer. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah, he's always been my favorite. Okay. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So there you I go. was I was blown away. I got to say, I was never really a not that I wasn't. I was not that I was never a fan of the guy. Uh, I just never really paid much attention to him until I saw him live. Uh, it was Tico Torres from from Bon Jovi? Like I think the guy's like yeah. drenched by the time he's done. Oh yeah, incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, my son opened for Bon Jovi in Toronto. Oh come on. A couple of times, yeah. Well, what's what is what's the name of his band? Let's give him a plug. Well, which one? <laughs> Let's see. At the time, he was with a band called Cannons or Autumn's Cannon. Um, okay. They they did a couple of gigs with uh, Bon Jovi, and they did a tour with ZZ Top. Oh wow! And they did a tour with the Goo Goo Dolls. <clears throat> okay. Okay. Yeah. So he's worked with a lot of different performers. Did he get to of, meet uh, meet John and Richie Sambo? Yep. Yep. All the guys, yeah. Wow, uh, that yeah. must have been something. Yeah, you know what? It was a thrill for him. He enjoyed it, and like he says, it's it's a feather in his cap. You know, like yeah, he's, he's got a picture of himself with Billy Gibbons from the ZZ Top. You know, oh, very nice. He, like, you know, he says he, he says there's a real guy for you. You know, he says he's honest, straight. You know, no bullshit. And yeah, yeah, not yeah. Full of himself and that kind of stuff. You know, yeah, so, yeah, oh, very nice. Yeah, very nice. Very and he nice. enjoys he enjoys what he does, and uh, he works hard at it, so. Yeah. Okay. Now, is he a full-time musician then? Not now. He was up until uh, three years ago, four years ago, I guess. Okay. Um, he landed a job. He's always been involved in audiovisual work. Okay. And he landed work at um, Shopify in their uh, TV production area. Okay. Um, so he's there now, and yeah, I'm glad he I'm glad he landed that because um, the music world, unfortunately, the bottom has fallen completely out of that. Yeah. Yeah, especially this year. That's where there's sure. no social, there's no social or whatever. So yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm glad he landed that, and he's doing well with it. So I'm glad I'm okay. happy for him. Proud of him for that. So 
Yeah. That's very nice. That's very nice. Yeah. So your favorite musician of all time, is it Led Zeppelin? Is it uh, no. Floyd? My favorite musician of all time. Band or musician? Well, you pick. Get one of each. One, you one. know what? I don't have, I can't say I really have a favorite because again, okay. it becomes mood dependent. Okay? <laughs> I'm going to tell you what albums I play on a regular basis. Okay, go for it. Yeah, go for it. The Who's Quadrophenia. Okay. To me, that is just an incredible album. Okay. Yeah. If you listen to it end to end, okay. Yeah. It's your typical The Who story. Yeah. But it's, uh, if you listen to it end to end, it's just incredible. So that would probably be my number one. My okay. number two would be Pink Floyd's The Wall. Okay. Yeah, The Wall is great. Yeah. 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 I mean, to me, that is just like. Yeah. I hate to do it, but I'm going to compare it to something like, you know, like your, your Beethoven or whatever. Yeah. I, I think of it in this term. Okay. That album is 30 years old. It still sells millions a year. Yeah. Oh, I think it's like, it's older than 30, Tony. Is it? Oh, it's gotta be over 40. Okay. Could be, could be. But yeah. the, the point being that it's been around for a long, long, long time. Yeah. And they still sell, they still sell millions of copies a year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, I have nothing against Justin Bieber, but I highly doubt they'll be selling his music in 40 years from now. <laughs> so those would be my top two. My tops to cap it off. My third one would have to be Dark Side of the Moon. Um, okay. Again, again, another Pink Floyd. Uh, yeah, okay. Marvel. Yeah. So those would be my my three most played albums. Okay. okay. Yep. Did you see them all and uh, see them in person, Pink Floyd? And Yep. I've seen them all multiple times. Okay. Did you see the who? Yes, I did. Actually, wow. several times. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When what, I was was, what was Pete Townsend like? Did, did he smash all the instruments? No, he's toned his, he's toned his act down now. I mean, he's an old guy like me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, but I, I wasn't sure if you saw him when he was younger, when he was still. No, in his younger years, yes, he did. Smashed everything. <laughs> they smashed everything on stage and they smashed my eardrums and all the rest of it. Um, pretty wild to see, you know? Um, and as a musician, um, I have to say, as much as I enjoyed their music, I had to say it kind of peed me off to see somebody destroy a drum set like that. It's like I can't even afford a good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so yeah. Um, wow. When well, I lived in Mont- when I lived in Montreal, um, anybody listening from that area, yeah, will will remember the Montreal Forum. Okay, which was yeah, yeah. like the place you go for a hockey game or the place well, yeah. you go for place you go for a concert. Yeah, and I was to the point that it didn't matter who it was that was performing. I was there because I just loved the environment. I loved being there for the music. Wow. That is awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. I, I didn't know you had this musical background. That is, that is, that is really good. That is really, yeah. really good. What, uh, what, what, what uh, do you have a favorite social media platform? I'm always interested. No. I'm not a social media not person a social at all. Guy, no, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, what does an ideal day off look like for you? Lay in the pool all day. <laughs> yeah? No, that's... my wife and I have a little camper, and we'll take off for the weekend and just go and just kind of light a fire and stretch out and relax. Yeah, that's you nice. know? Just yeah. listen to the birds and listen to the trees. Goes yeah. off here now and then, here and there. Just yeah. to, It's that, that empty box state of mind. You know what yeah. I mean? It's yeah. just like... It, and disconnect and... Yeah, exactly. Don't think about anything, you know? Yeah. Well, to me, that's like, uh, that's the kind of days 
I enjoy those days where my wife and I will go just the two of us with the dog and just relax. You yeah, know? that's nice. Yeah. yeah, very nice. Life is, life is too busy these days and you forget how to do that sometimes. Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. When when people hear the name Tony LaForest, what yeah. the hope they will say? Um, how I would like to be known or remembered is um, hardworking and honest. Um, those are the two attributes that I admire the most in a person. Um, I like to see somebody that works and works hard. And at the end of the day, I think honesty is the only policy to live by. Tony, that is, uh, that is very well said. Very, very well said. And I, I thank you for, for spending some time with us here. Um, I wish you uh, much success here in, in 2021 with, uh, with signs and stitches. Thank Thank you very much for, for coming on the show here. Well, thank you, Paul. Hope I didn't draw on too long. No, that was excellent. That was excellent. All right. Thanks very much. All right. Thanks, Paul. For those in the audience looking for additional information from our guest today, Tony LaForest, you can reach Tony by telephone at 613-406-4776. That's 613-406-4776. You can also reach Tony by email at info at signs and stitches.ca that's info at signs and stitches.ca the and is all spelt out for you you can also find him on the web at www.signsandstitches.ca and again the and is spelled out you can find tony on facebook at osgood signs and stitches and you so you can also find him on instagram at osgood designs Thank you very much for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Ottawa Business Podcast. We truly hope you found something of value in the show that you can use in your business or personal life. Please remember to like and subscribe to the show. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite player. Thank you.